Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. There's a phrase I use, and to the cat lovers out there, don't take this personal, but it goes, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. Another version dating back to 1854 went, there are more ways than one to skin a cat. Roughly meaning, there are several ways of achieving an aim. The past few years, you could say I've been trying things out. I tried teaching for the first time. I dabbled in the craft show life. I dabbled as an arts administrator. I spent a year at a residency and focused solely on my studio practice. I moved to Philadelphia to try out the East Coast. I spent last summer in Maine to see what it would be like to run a retail gallery space. And currently, I'm learning a whole new skill set and incorporating all this previous experience into my new job, which I love, but is proving a challenge in terms of, you know, keeping up my studio practice on my nights and weekends. I'm sure that is a familiar story to many of you. All this to say, there are indeed a thousand ways to skin a cat, and even more ways to have a career as an artist. Take, for example, today's guest. He has three degrees. He went to grad school and received his MFA in fibers. He keeps up a studio practice and exhibits work. He finds time to teach workshops at places such as the Penland School of Crafts. But these days, Nick DeFore devotes most of his time to his position as programs director at the Aeromont School of Arts and Crafts. He is a busy guy, but truth be told, mention The Simpsons, Lost, or Harry Potter, and there is no doubt he'll take the time to have a quick chat with you. So what exactly does it mean to be a programs director? Don't worry, we're going to get to that. So please welcome today's guest, Nick DeFord. No, I recorded, but somehow I didn't save right in that interview. I went to edit it, and it was just gone, and that was embarrassing. So, um, it's been a good time. So, Nick DeFord. Yep. Hey, it's nice to see you. Hey, thanks. Nice hey. to see you too. Uh, your beard is looking very wizardly. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like that. I I wrote on Instagram like different beard levels, and I feel like I'm getting to like twenties Dumbledore at this point. Oh yeah. Yeah. When do you think you're going to cut it off? At this point, never. I don't know. I keep making <laughs> jokes about it. Dana seems to be fine with it. Like I'm like, let's just see how long it gets to the yeah. point that I can almost get to the little... Like, the ponytail? Yeah, like a holder. My dad used to do that. He was also <laughs> like a really fat old biker. So you're going in that direction. Well, it's, it's something. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely gotten past the stage of itchiness. So now it's just, I want to see. Now it's curiosity. Now it's smooth sailing. It's red. It's red. You have a red beard, which is awesome. It's red peppered with, for those of you listening at home, it's red peppered with white and gray now. Mm -hmm. 
it's Which looking good. Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you look, I mean, in a, a, a positive way, a little demonic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah, totally. I figured you'd enjoy that. Yes. Um, so Nick, we are at Pentaculum which is great and when this interview airs i will have already aired the interview with jason burnett so the listeners should know all about what pentaculum is okay but a quick rundown it is a one-week invitational residency held at aeromont school of art and crafts i mean and now it's aeromont school and arts and crafts function Mm -hmm. whereas before when it started with jason it was him renting it from you correct and you guys absorbed it yes i like that this is a nice way to say it. Um, and this is my fourth year being here. Yeah. And I met you because of this. This is when I first. Yeah. 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 That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I've known you for four years now. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is your is official title here at Aramont? Because you work at Aramont full time. Yes. So I'm the program director at Aramont. So all the programming at Aramont is sort of under my purveyance, although I don't always have direct management of that because I have some employees who handle some other things, but I, to very briefly summarize, I hire all the instructors for our national workshops and then I oversee programs in both our gallery and exhibition programs, but also uh, community programs. So basically if art is somehow happening at Aramont through Aramont, then I'm overseeing that happen. I mean, that seems like a pretty cool job to be able to hire the instructors. It is. It's pretty fun. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, what? That is the best job ever. Yeah. Um, and then I've always been curious about that, like at Haystack and Penland and mm-hmm. Aramont. Um, I know Leslie Noel, who does your job at Penland. Mm-hmm. Where do you, how do you go about finding new artists? Like, are you always trying to look for like, who's the next up and comer to teach? Or do you have a Rolodex? Well, you know, that's a pretty good question because I think a lot of people... Uh, one of the things about Pentaculum, which I don't know if this was discussed or has been discussed yet, is Pentaculum always brings in new uh, artists each year. So there's a certain amount of discovery that the coordinators can go out and do. But I also have to look at previous people who've taught at Aramont because we don't start with a new sh- slate every year. Right? Yeah, that'd you know, be chaos. So we, bring, we bring back people. So about 70, 60 to 70% of our instructors are returning instructors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to sort of, it's a little bit of, it's a pretty complicated woven mesh of, because if you think about it, that means 30 to 40% are new instructors. Well, that means in the past 10 years, we probably have 1,000, over 1,000 unique instructors, if not more. Yeah. So who gets to come back and how often do they come back? Is it every two years or three years? And so... Uh, I always tell the instructors who come, you know, like, they're like, oh, when, when can I come back? And, or I haven't heard from Nick. Did I do something wrong? Did I, did I make him mad? But juggling that many people in my Rolodex, which I don't, I'm doing quotes. <laughs> He's doing Rolodex, air quotes. Um, which is really just a list that I keep on my computer slash a list in my head. I don't, I have to really be cognizant of making sure I'm giving people a chance to come back. Yeah. which actually doesn't leave a lot of room for, for, or how do I find the new people? You know, the, yeah. the like you were saying, the up and, and coming people. So of that 30 to 40% who are new instructors every year, a lot of them are recommendations from, mm. uh, I take the recommendations of current instructors really highly mm-hmm. because they 
get what Aramon is. And that's always a risk, right? Like yeah. I love reaching out to people who don't know what Aramon is and inviting them to come teach. And sometimes that creates really rewarding relationships. Other times it just doesn't work out, you know, like yeah. the, the one week workshop structure, even if they're an incredible teacher, that's not a sort of a teaching structure that's for everybody. So it's always a risk to te- to to invite somebody who's never taught before, and I want to you know sort of be, make that very clear that it's not always uh, a failure on their part. It could be a failure on just the wrong type of teaching relationship. Yeah, and, and personality type. Personality. I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is a common thing. Not all great artists are great teachers. Not all great teachers are great artists. What I think any sort of relationship that a school, any school, uh, from uh, K through twelve art teacher to what we do is finding the right mix of good communicator, great artist. They mm-hmm. like people. And yeah. that's, it's an important part of being an artist. Not yeah. every artist likes people. And I totally sympathize with that. <laughs> um, but maybe yeah. you're not going to be the best teacher if you're, you know, a sort of a misanthrope, you know, it's not teaching doesn't have to be the thing that you do. So. Yeah. And I think also for craft schools, you know, you could also teach at a university, but mm-hmm. that might not make you the right person to teach at a craft school. Exactly. I feel like it's a whole different beast. It like, is. Like it's it's like running a marathon. Well, yeah, I've seen, you know, that's a really good way to find good instructors is to look at universities. But I've seen and people have come to me later and said, like, you know, thanks for the opportunity, but that's not my thing you know like it was difficult for me to to do that in one week because normally I have a semester to get that done so yeah or they just don't enjoy it um well that's a pretty cool job yeah I mean it it sounds cool um sometimes it can be stressful and sometimes the uh the amount of logistics and like I was really sort of hedging my words there to try to be diplomatic because when dealing with this many people in, in a lot of ways um i almost feel like um sometimes it's like the concierge of a hotel you yeah know? like you have to keep everybody happy is the goal like mm-hmm. you keep the staff happy and you keep the the hotel guests happy and so there can be a lot of it's a lot of um what we were talking about before which is finding finding a job that fits as an artist it can be difficult and a lot of working in what I do now is just people (laughs) being able to communicate with people you know yeah well I kind of get a taste of it like the smallest little taste is being a pentaculum coordinator and it's (laughs) makes me respect you 20,000 times more because (laughs) I'm only responsible for finding what 15 people for Mm -hmm. one week for one thing of the year and I'm like no one no one reads emails they don't respond you give them deadlines they don't even care deadlines mean nothing they mean nothing Um, and then I had a little taste of putting out a fire so to speak this Mm -hmm. week and it was just one little thing and I was like this must be like your life all the time. And you're like, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I don't envy you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of putting out fires. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think we can be a little bit honest here. Like, I mean, artists are notorious for not always being the most uh, organized. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Or also uh, artists can sometimes, and, and I think that just comes a lot with the practice. I mean, what, a, what makes Pentaculum interesting is, as Jason said on opening night, artists for the most part, not all artists, but many artists have this sort of stigma and 
this professional practice to be in their studio working by themselves. Yeah. So the only person they have to answer to in terms of their goals themselves are themselves. Yeah. And that's the part of the communication. It's it's hard for artists. It's hard for me to learn to answer emails on time and get back to people, mm-hmm. do the things that you're supposed to do to navigate a world or a web that have lots of moving parts. Um, and so, you know, I think I sympathize with that also, but as you know, deadlines seem to be met, you know, things have to get done at a certain time. And so with the Aramon programming on a national level, I have about offer, you know, over 150 workshops a year. Yeah. You include co-taught classes. I'm dealing with 160 to 170 individual artists to make sure that they're doing them what they need to do and getting here on time and teaching a class and yeah it's a lot of moving parts i'm really sorry i sent in my description for my class late see i know i that that what i use a metaphor from from stephen <laughs> king mythology like all that happens on a different level of the tower so <laughs> people people will email me they're like i'm sorry i got my description in late like listen i i didn't even know because other people are asking for descriptions a lot of times i'm, yeah. the, I'm the person that they call when third notice has gone out to get in oh. things and then i come in and swoop in and sort of um you're like no no really give us that description yeah yeah i always oh. i always say that like i'm like the angel of justice i come in at the <laughs> end and be like you need to get this description in you have this intimidating red beard and this yeah. like stern look on your intimidating face emails intimidating emails so what how did you get to aramont then because you're an, yeah. you're a studio artist i love your work i have a piece of it yeah no it's um yeah my my trip to this chair um as as program director and even just sitting here it's is is sort of a winding road because i um went straight from undergrad to grad school pretty much with a stop in between to get um a master's in teaching art and so i have three whole i have three degrees i didn't know you had that third degree yeah okay i have a bfa and oh. a master's of science in like i forgot teacher education or educa- master's in science and education in teaching art and then a master's of fine arts in what fibers. okay yeah. where did first of all where were you born um in tennessee here oh my gosh this area mm-hmm. really yeah wow why do you say that is i just it? didn't realize that like this is like this truly is your home base yeah mm-hmm. this area yeah Okay. Yeah, so, I grew up in Knoxville. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Are your parents in Knoxville? Uh, around the area. Okay. They sort of like left and sort of come back. But yeah, my family's in East Tennessee. Because you, you work in Gatlinburg, but you commute from Knoxville, which yeah. is like mm-hmm. 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. No one wants to live in Gatlinburg. It's, it's, I guess some people do, but some people not do. me. Yeah, I wouldn't want to either. Um, it's just a lot of, not nothing against Gatlinburg. It's just a lot of tourism and a, it's very transient in some ways. Yeah, and and I would say that like people, there are really good reasons to want to live in this town or in this region, and I think mainly it's because it's next to the national park. Yeah. But I am not an outdoors person. I'm like yeah. I'm like a city mouse, and so like, I've I've not even been in the national park really since I took this job. Oh my god, that makes me feel so much better <laughs> because I got the residency here, and I remember moving in. They like left us a map of all their favorite trails and all the things. I didn't do a single yeah, hike. I, I've gone like in the periphery of the park to take like watercolor classes there or whatever, <laughs> but I have not been, I've never been on a hike since I've moved back here. I yeah. I, my first walk, I saw a bear and I turned around and almost started running and I was with Sky, the other mm-hmm. resident. She's like, nope, do not do that. Like they will chase you. And I was just like, hell no. Like I'm not going on a walk yeah. and seeing a bear by myself again. 
Um, so where did you go to undergrad? So I went to undergrad at University of Tennessee, which is in Knoxville. So like oh, okay. going, I was completely just sticking around home kind of person. Just went to the nearest state school. For was that because it was cheaper? For me, no. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was. It's a long story, but I was like two points away on my ACT from being able to get a full ride. So no, it wasn't any cheaper. I mean, I guess it was cheaper than like going out of state. Yeah. But I. I mean, I. I'm pretty honest about my past. I think I just chose it because it was easy. Yeah. It was an fair. option. It was there. And I, I tell the story. It's kind of a goofy story. Like I was totally unprepared for college. Like you went in during orientation. And they're like, well, tomorrow you're going to split up by what you want your major to be. And I didn't even know I was supposed to decide that yet. I didn't know what was going on. So wow. I was like, I kind of like art. I like art's okay, I guess. And so I went with the art people and <laughs> the advisor set us down. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, maybe illustration. I like drawing like illustration, like a cartoonist. They're like, we don't have that. Uh, how about a drawing degree? I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And they're like, what are you going to do with that? And I'm like, oh, these are a lot of questions on my first day. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, maybe you should get an additional certification in teaching. I'm like, that sounds great. And from like that one moment, my next five years were largely planned. planned. And I just went that route, like kind of what they told me to do. And on that course, I figured out that there were other things that I was interested in. Like that's how I got into fibers is because my third year of drawing I'm like man I don't even really like drawing that much I mean there are parts of it I like but I was really inspired by the sculpture classes I took well I guess we didn't how would you describe your artwork like your creative practice oh, we yeah. didn't say that so I do mostly embroidery hand embroidery on paper like found objects so I take found objects and I and stitch into them or embellish them with beads and sequins so it's a fiber practice but one that I kind of came at I always said that I was a I was a drawing major with sculpture envy because I, I, mm -hmm. I didn't have that kind of exposure in my high school art classes that you can make. I didn't know that you could make art out of anything that you wanted to, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of, I thought art had to be drawing and painting and like marble sculpting, you know, whatever they teach you. I relate to you that. Yeah. yeah. Whatever they teach you in, in, in high school, which is like looking at Renaissance art in Van mm -hmm. Gogh and all this sort of stuff. And then I get to college and I take my sculpture class with this, you know, my TA who is like, Hey, your next assignment is go find some trash by the side of the road and make art out of it. And I'm like, we can do this. Like that's a thing. I didn't know we could do this. And that's when I found, like what I guess you would consider my voice, like what I naturally begin to wanting to do, which is mm -hmm. I love finding things. I love collecting things. I like small meticulous mark making. And eventually this just developed into fibers, into stitching and what, what sort of a fiber practice. And that's when, when I decided I wanted to go to grad school, finding a fiber program that I could go to. But you didn't do that. So you graduate. Well, see, all the teacher ed program was all one. See, that's the thing. It was all one. It was one program. Oh. So the, you got that master's as part of it because you have to have a master's. Well, you don't have. I think you sort of had to have a master's to teach. It was like an extra year to get your master's in teaching at UT. So that was already. So by the time I was like, I might want to get my MFA. I was already into this teacher ed program, which I enjoyed yeah. teaching and I enjoyed all part of that. But then I went straight from that five or for me, it was a six year program because it took me five years to get my BFA. Um, six year program straight from there to get my MFA. So I was in college straight for like nine years. I could be a doctor right now. <laughs> Instead, you're working at a nonprofit. I know. <laughs> but okay, so that's crazy to me because I've 
made comments on this before, and there's no right or wrong way to do anything, and my opinion is just my opinion, but you didn't take a single break in between school. Like, did you literally graduate and that next fall start another program? Yeah, and I would not recommend it. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like, no, that that was not the right move. Okay, because I feel like that's so intense. Because people do ask me for advice now, yeah. right? Like both former students, but also people who come through Aramont. And some things they ask me, like, do I need to go get a grad degree? My first answer is no, you don't. Absolutely need to get a grad degree. <laughs> yeah. And it, I'm not saying that they're bad, but you should just know why you're getting them. And I didn't yeah. know. I, I, you know, like me going to get my MFA was probably threefold. Like one, I thought it looked cool. Right. That's fair. I mean, like it was right. You, you when going to undergrad and seeing all the TAs and like the grad students and they were cool. Yeah. It looked cool. I learned a lot from them. I wanted to be that. Absolutely. The second reason was I thought, oh, I want to teach college. I like teaching. Teaching college sounds like a pretty quick, you know, sweet gig. So I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I need an MFA to do that. And the third reason was I really didn't need to learn more about fibers and textiles. I didn't have that experience. It, mm-hmm. Any sort of fibers and textiles I learned during my undergrad program wasn't from the classes at UT. It was from classes here at Aramont that I took. And that's my relationship with Aramont. I would come up here to take fibers classes oh, in the yeah. summer. So I'm afraid to ask. Uh-huh. How much are, do you have student loans? A lot. Oh, God. I mean, like, it's at this point, it's not even something I think about. Yeah, because um, it's just there. Yeah, it's just there. It's like... It can't I'm, hurt you. It's kind of like the boogeyman. Exactly. I, I, you know, I, and, and other regrets, like I took out more than I should have just to like make it so that I didn't have to work during grad school. Okay. I, I, I I'm curious about that. People mm-hmm. do that because yeah. I hear them say it a lot. So you can actually take out whatever you want and you don't For have living to. expenses or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And so you didn't have a job the entire time you're in school. Well, I mean, that was a lesson I learned really fast. Like I moved out to Arizona. So I got my grad, I got my MFA uh, degree at Arizona State University. Oh, so you decided to go out of state. You're yeah. like, I need to move away from home. Yeah. Haven't, you know, and spread that was your a, wings. And that was a sort of a lesson that I learned was, again, like my natural inclination was to be a bit of a homebody and to say like, well, I'm going to apply to these regional schools within a three hour drive of Knoxville. And it was my mentors who were like, you need to apply somewhere else. Yeah. You know, uh, spread your wings a little bit further. And so I applied for Arizona as sort of like an offshoot. Like I'm never yeah, going to move Arizona? out to Arizona. Well, they had a good fiber program. Oh, okay. Um, cause you don't like nature. I don't, but <laughs> that's the reason why Arizona is a good place. Cause Arizona hates nature too. Just oh, good point. Um, but nothing grows there. It was great. No, I mean the desert, that is a climate that I can get with because okay. it's just, you know, just, bare and clean and then their bad weather is just like it's unbearably hot so you're just inside with air conditioning exactly it was great um so yeah i applied there for like i'm never going to move to arizona that's not what i'm going to do and it just turned out to be the best offer and the best gig and i was like yeah but that first year i got a job at the local library and i was sort of working like part-time like 25 30 hours a week and then doing grad school and I remember one of my, my professors sort of set me down at the end of that first year. It was like, listen, you're not making enough work. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, so, you know, you're not going to pass your next review if you keep going the rate that you're going. I'm like, okay. And they're like, I was like, it's just this job. And like, I understand that you're concerned about money, but you made a choice to move across the country. You need to figure out if it's because you want to work at the library or do you want to go to grad school? And I was like, done. And I quit my library job 
And I totally get that. But like at the same time, I'm like, damn it. Like people need money though. People do need money. It's such I mean, a privileged thing. It was. No, I mean like, and that's one of the reasons why I, I recommend now like a couple of recommendations when people are thinking about grad school. Like, is this really something you want to do? And if I went to a state school with a TA, like I went pretty inexpensively. Like I think I have a lot of student loans and I do, but sometimes when you talk to other people, my story is uncommon and they have more than I do. So, you know, I, I probably am, am not, you know, as bad as, as in debt as other people are. Um, but I, you know, I was also like, yeah, I'll take out the max amount of loans, you know, and I didn't mm-hmm. need to do that. I could have lived more within my means at the time. Um, but it's done. It's over. You know, it's, it's yeah. the decisions made. And so I recommend now when people are considering grad schools, like that's an important part. And that's why I always recommend some people are like, well, I'm going to apply to this school and, and that's it. And I'm like, why don't you already getting the application together? Yeah. Apply for 10 schools. You know, go ahead and send them out. I know that $30 application fee sounds like a lot now, but you're getting the work in, send it out because that might, that extra $100 in application fees might save you, you know, $50,000 because that one school you didn't think you were going to apply for gave you a full ride. Yeah. You know, and so it's totally, it's it's worth the gamble to just apply to a bunch of things. Yeah. And then know that it's going to cost you money. And so, like, that's why a couple years in between to sort of get your foot, maybe save up some money, just know how to live within a means is good. Yeah. I mean, I met somebody at Pentaculum last year who said she worked at the worst job, like a call center, like 50 hours a week at a call center for two years so she could save up and not have to work at all during grad school. And she's like, those years sucked and that job sucked, but... And it also yeah. gives you an appreciation for when you're in grad school. See, that's mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, that's looking back at myself. I I feel like I took a pretty good advantage of the opportunities that presented themselves to me in grad school, but probably not 100%. And mm-hmm. especially like open studio time. Like obviously I wasn't making enough work because I didn't know yet what open studio time meant, how valuable that is. That's what you're paying for when you go to grad school. You're paying for time to make things because later in life you don't have that time to make things. Yeah. And so you're paying for the opportunity to go and make things in an environment where you get immediate feedback and with a group of peers. I mean, that's what in a sense people are coming to Pentaculum for. Yeah. As you were saying that, I was like, Oh, it's like Pentaculum. You have to, you have to, you find out later how valuable that is when you're somebody in undergrad art, you take, you just take, take that for granted. Like, Oh, this will always be here. The ability yeah. to make what I want to make when I want to make it with having conversations about art with him that doesn't exist <laughs> you know you have <laughs> yeah. to build that you have to pay for that and mm-hmm. I think you don't really realize what the value of that is until you don't have that when that's the reason why the space in between undergrad and grad school is I think incredibly critical yeah. for someone to realize is this even something I want is yeah. this important to me because I think a lot of people go to grad school too and then they realize like after they graduate that oh man, I never really needed that or that wasn't something for me. I hear a lot of people wish say that they wish they would have waited so that they would have appreciated or know, had a better idea of what they wanted to do. Because I feel yeah. like once you get out of undergrad, you need some time to kind of just like absolutely take in what you just did. I usually am like, get a job that you hate, cry a little, like suffer. Like live life. Yeah, live like life, travel. Like go and do the things that everybody else on the earth is doing. 
fail at something, fall in love. Yeah, work a job that you hate, work a job that you love. Yeah. Do all the things because you just need to have that experience, I think. So are your, may I ask, are your um, student loan fees, are they under 100000 Yes. They are? Yes, I'm under 100000 Okay, great. Did you start above 100000 No. Oh. But. Good. It was close. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Do you, you have a monthly I student do. loan fee? Uh-huh. What is that like? It's something I can at this point comfortably pay, but I am also not paying the full, like I'm just, I am paying the amount that like the lowest amount they'll let me pay. Yeah. Which what what's depressing is when I look at how much of the principal I'm absolutely not paying off and I'm just paying off the like, I'm like, I'm just sort of like, oh. like skimming off the top because yeah. I just figured like, well, you know, eventually somebody's going to wake up and just take away these loans or something, but that doesn't like it's going to happen. So now I'm moving into phase two of like, all right, I really got it. Cause I know, like I hear stories and I know some of my friends were like, had the same amount, if not more student loans than I have mm-hmm. and have paid them off. But see, they're diligent and they're better people than me. And they like, <laughs> they're like, like they paid the max and they're like, like chugging it and they're done. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's like, you know. But I like vacation. In the current political state that we're in, <laughs> it doesn't look like these student loans are going to go anywhere. Yeah. I'm going to have to get rid of them myself. And so like, I, because they, they have forgiveness programs. They do. Yeah. I've heard of those. But those are in flux right now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, so like, I'm going to have to like roll up my sleeves and start doing more of the payment and taking less, you know, eating yeah. less takeout sushi. Oh, damn it. But takeout sushi is so great. I know. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, you know, but again, like one of my mentors said to me, like, this isn't taking a loan out. Another reason why I don't let this keep me up at night anymore is because you know, even though it's a significant amount um, you take a loan out on a house, you take a loan out on a car, you don't pay that, they're going to come and repossess the thing that you bought, but you can't take away my degree. Like it's yeah. mine, my knowledge and my experience, I earn like that's it. Yeah. Like I, I know I can't default on the loan and there's a lot of other like hoops, but like that's it. Like I own this now forever. Yeah. So if it takes to... me forever to pay it off or if I still have it when I die and this really, it's got really morbid fast. But it's worth it, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm doing what I want to do. So, hey. Silver lining. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, people don't sit around and keep, their mortgages don't keep them up at night because they live in a house they want to live in. Yeah. And these student loans will keep me up at night because I'm doing what I want to do. So, so you touched on something, um, the value of, or, the, like, having that experience, right? Like, the time to make things and not really realizing it when you're in it, like, how actual valuable that is yeah. once you get to your degree and moving on. And that touches on Pentaculum and mm-hmm. why we're here, right? Like, this is yeah. a week where people just get to focus solely on themselves. I always tell people, I think in the beginning, I was like, oh, well, what if all the participants, you know, made a piece and we had an exhibition afterwards or we published a book tied to Pentaculum or something like that? And then I was like, no, because once again, that would just be putting an expectation on this week. And I think the most valuable thing of it is that if someone wants to come and experiment and not actually make anything, I don't want to take that away from them. Absolutely. But the other thing is, is that, you know, some people are like, well, Pentaculum is expensive. And I'm like, okay, well, not that expensive for what you're getting. It, it's not, you know, I mean, 
And we work hard to keep it cheap. We do work hard to keep it affordable. You know, I think it comes always, and you look at anything experience-wise, right? Like, yeah. let's just take an Aeromont workshop. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of our students come, a lot of people come to Aeromont for different reasons. Uh, but ultimately, if you're coming and you're, you know, an adult, which all of our, our students are adults, it's like a vacation. You have to take vacation time to do it. Right? Yeah. Or I'll take this on a more personal, like I work a full-time job. I work 40 to 45 hours per week. I have vacation time. What am I going to use my vacation time for? Like, what am mm-hmm. I going to take off work to go do? I'm going to pay for it no matter what. Right. Yeah. Like I'm going to go to take a trip to a place I've never been to before. I'm going to go to an amusement park. I'm going to go to take a class at Aeromont or whatever. Um, an Aeromont class isn't going to cost more than a trip to a big city or a trip to to Disney World. It's going to cost significantly less. Than How much Disney does World. a workshop cost? Like over the top of your head. So tuition for one week is around $500. If you want to do an economical stay on campus, what I always tell people is depending on the class and the materials, it'll around $1,000 is what you want to plan for for a week. But that covers your stay, your activity three square meals a day and then your your food which on the whole a week's vacation for a thousand dollars isn't too bad yeah and pentaculum if you're doing it again on the economic price of of where you choose to stay is half of that it's around five hundred dollars which i think is incredible it is because that's your studio fee Mm -hmm. that is your housing and that is your food Mm -hmm. i think we just the only thing we don't cover is two dinners through the week correct because we found that people want to go out to dinner at some point anyways yeah um, and that is for what you get. That's pretty incredible. Well, see, this is back to what we were talking about earlier is people are like, well, $500 for a place to stay in the, in, in like what to just be in a studio, but you're, what you're paying, what you're really paying for is to be in this place at this time with these people, um, which for people who've been out of that environment for a long time forgot, you know, like yeah. they're like, Oh, I need that. And it is so critical. I mean, this is sort of like the, it, and, and it's, you know, I don't want to disparage people who do balk at the price. If it's not something you can afford, it's not something you can afford. That's yeah, it's still not justifiable. It's still a chunk of change, but I don't yeah. think that in this, you can tell me differently as a coordinator, but I don't think we've had anybody who ever said they regretted it. No. You in know? fact, the the prob- biggest problem I have is telling people they can't come back. Yeah, yep. because I don't know if we've really like like touched on that thoroughly. It's invitational only, but the other thing is is you can only come once. There's yeah. a few loopholes. You can come back more than once if you're an assistant or you can come back under a different discipline. Or you can come back as a yeah, a different discipline. Um and so at the end of the week it's like no one wants to go home. The connections you made are incredible and um, yeah, it's, and they just all want to come back and I'm like, I'm sorry. One time, that's it. Um, so, I mean, again, I mean, you know, and, and my wife, Dana and I were talking about this, like, think about hobbies that people have. Like sometimes we'll, we'll guilt ourselves and like, well, well, maybe we shouldn't go to like, for instance, uh, we, and I know, I know you're going to, w- my wife and I love the Wizarding World in Orlando, and I'm not getting paid to say this by Universal Orlando, <laughs> but we're thinking about like, should is this something we should do every year? And oh my we, God, we talk yes. ourselves out of it sometimes because <laughs> you look at the ticket prices, we're like, oh, that's so expensive. Oh, we can't do that. But you think you look around you and think about all the things that people spend money on. Mm-hmm. Records. Like, yeah, I spend a lot of money on records too. Um, 
but like think about like football games like an nfl football game like the tickets to those are like in the hundreds and that's oh just, yeah it's like 200 it's like four bucks. hours yeah yeah of that it's crazy and so again like we're, we're talking about you know anything seems expensive to somebody who's not interested in it yeah but if you're interested in it and that money is worthwhile for you then it's totally worthwhile whatever yeah. it is like not to get maudlin or anything but like you only got one life Oh. And that's the other, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I can lay awake thinking about my student loans, but. Honestly, like, I I hate myself because I have to say that phrase so much. I was like, you only live once, but. It's I, so true. It is so true. And I struggle with that so much because I had both my parents kind of are passed away already. And that really brings that into perspective mm-hmm. of you. Because I feel like you think everybody's going to live forever. And once you get closer to death, you're like, oh, never mind. I'm going to spend $200 to go play pinball on the Jersey Shore and stay the night and not even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, money, you it, can't take it with you. <laughs> again, and there are other, I mean, this isn't a catch-all, right? Like yeah. if you have kids and you're responsible for your children and maybe you don't want to leave them with like nothing, like I get it, yeah. but I don't have any kids. And like, <laughs> yeah. so like what's going to happen? Like well, if I'm not going to use my money, it just disappears. I mean, I'm assuming that like, God, this got so dark suddenly, but like <laughs> that, like something's going to happen and take me and my wife out at the same time. I obviously want to leave money for, you know, my cat and my wife but like <laughs> otherwise all of this is to say that like because so much of this has been talking about sort of really pragmatic things about what to spend money on and is school worth it is this worth it and again that's why i always like i'm really careful when somebody's like is grad school worth it for the price i'm like it is if you know what you're paying for yeah you know like going to universal orlando isn't worth it if you don't know why you're going yeah if you know why you're going because you're a big fan of a ride or you want to you know then it's totally worth it is 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 going to take to pentaculum worth it for the money it is if you know why you're going yeah um nothing is worth it if you don't know why you're paying for it yeah that's a good way to put it yeah like if you don't know why you're paying this amount of money you don't know what you're going to do when you get the if if you don't really kind of know then you're always going to question if it's worth it Mm -hmm. um and so this is the same with grad school. Like that's why you need a break in between because you need to know why you want it. Yeah. See, that's what I, I, I gave those reasons why I wanted to go to grad school. And those were, I can knock off why those were silly reasons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like it, it, being a grad student, well, it is a little cool, but ultimately it's not cool. And you're only there for a short amount of time. It's like being the high school you know, quarterback. Like. Honestly, I still think it's kind of cool. It is cool, but because like I've never gone and people are like, "I'm in grad school." I'm like, oh. "Oh, it looks neat." Yeah, yeah, it does look neat. And you do feel a little cool, but it wears off. Like I said, it's like being a high school quarterback. You, it does feel cool, but then it's over. Yeah. And then it's done. And then this other thing is like, well, I need to learn fibers, and I did, but I could also yeah. learn fibers from being a work study at Aeromont. I can learn fibers from online YouTube videos. I can learn fibers other places and spending the amount of money and. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be able to teach. Well, I'm not teaching at a university right now. Yeah. So I was like, all those reasons were very superficial reasons at the time. Not bad reasons now, but I didn't have enough time to really consider why those were important and or to use them wisely, I guess. Yeah. So if someone wants to come to Aramont, the thing I do love, okay, so Aramont is a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that right there. I don't think we really talk. <laughs> I was like, how much money do you make? Yeah. Pick a box. No, really. How much money do you make? Pick a box. <laughs> Where are my boxes? Okay, box number one uh-huh. for your position, program yes. director at a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. 
15 to 20, mm-hmm. 20 to 25. Keep going. 25 to 30. Keep going. 30 to 35. 35 to 40. 40 to 50. 50 to 55. 55 to 60? Yes. Thank God, because you do so much. <laughs> Does that include benefits? Yes. 401k? Yes. Yes. Okay. Awesome. I will say, um, I, I, I feel very fortunate to have this job. And when I started this job, it was... I started on the bottom side of those boxes because yeah. I came in as a program manager. So mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to be offered the the position that I'm in now and, 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 and so forth and so on. So, um, Oh, and that's something good to know too. Like you didn't just walk in here and are like, I got this job. Like you got a lower position at this institution and you've worked your way correct. up. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it was, as I mentioned, I thought I was going to teach college and, and like a lot of people who get their MFAs think. Um, and I did teach uh, at the university for a couple of years as a lecturer, but then that contract uh, dried up and then Aramont was hiring. And nonprofit arts management was not something I ever really considered, mm-hmm. but now I've been doing it for five years, almost six years. So um, keeping options open is pretty important. Um, and something that, you know, I'm not terribly bad at. I mean, there are days sometimes I look around, I'm like, oh my, what am I doing? How did I get here? Um, like a talking head song, you know, like, oh, <laughs> what is happening? And am I even doing this right? But I don't know. Yeah. Most days you're happy? Yeah. That's good. I mean, no one's going to be happy every day of their life. Oh, their no, job, this is, it's a line. job. You know, yeah. like we talked about how, how, how fun it sounds, but that's because you know, you think that any job sounds kind of fun. Being a shrimp fisherman sounds really fun because <laughs> you get to be out of sea until like, but you don't, you don't ever think about all the other things that come with it, right? The, yeah. The, the actual work that goes into it. So yeah, of course. And I treat, definitely treat my job as a job, you know, and I remove myself from it at the end of the day and go home and have hobbies and lives and things like that. I think that's important too, because I think there's a culture around places like, like Penland, um, and Aramont, Penland more so because it is so isolated that people that work there literally have to kind of live near it and their only social circle is kind of Penland. Um, to get that kind of separation is hard because mm-hmm. students come here and they live on campus while they're taking students or classes for the most part. Mm-hmm. You have community programming, but um, in the summer and all that, and I feel like it's easy to get wrapped up that every week you're you get to see like friends that come teach or people you know taking classes and it's really easy to be like hey nick are you gonna be here for dinner are you gonna hang around hang out late road night and blah 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 well and even beyond that i think it's not just even i mean i think for some reason people especially non-artists even more than artists think that being an artist even though it's a profession is like your way of life you know, and oh, I'm yeah. like, you know, we don't do that with other people, you know, like, and so I'm very pragmatic with with my art, you know, like, I'm passionate about art, I'm passionate about art making, but it's also, it's not who I am completely. It's your job. Yeah, and I have other interests in, in, in other things to spend my resources on in terms of time and money and, and, and focus and things like that. And so it's like you see all those, you know, memes online on Instagram and Facebook where they're like, being an artist is a, you know, you're an artist 100% of the day and everything you do. I'm like, no, you're not. No. You're, a, you're just a person. 
who makes mistakes and you have goofy interests. Maybe you are an artist who likes to go spend your money on NFL games. Maybe you're an NFL fan. Like you should be allowed to have interests besides your profession. Yeah. I mean, I will say when I left Aramont, I was burnt out because yeah. I was making the joke. I was like, you know what? I'm going to move to Philadelphia. I'm going to make some friends that aren't making things good or have anything to do with art or jewelry. <laughs> you know, like I really did need that. I was starved for that separation. Well, well, and I think that's one of the things that Pentaculum also to bring it back does is we have all these little other goofy events in here, like karaoke tonight and, mm-hmm. and, we encourage people to like, hey, do stuff. Or like you were saying at the beginning, like whatever the reason you came here, we're not going to sort of force that, you know, you don't have to make anything if you wanted yeah. to. You could just come here and just, um, I really like, did you, you go to the readings last night? The, I went to the readings. So oh, also PS, been a coordinator for four years. First time I've ever gone to a reading. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I've. Because I don't have to do what I want the, anything this week. So. And I feel bad because I've forgotten the, the writer's name, but the the writer who wanted to just write 10 beginnings to stories. Oh my like gosh, one he was hilarious. Sentences. Like that's an incredible goal to come here. So and for s- those listening, this writer was like, he's like, and then I have 10 beginnings of short stories. To, he's like, I'm looking up this week to give me beginnings for the year to come to get me going, create momentum. And so he would say the most ridiculous sentence and then he'd be like, one. <laughs> and they were great. And I mean, like what? That's a great way to use this week, you know, yeah. and even for an artist to be like, hey, every day I'm going to go in and start something and I'm not going to finish a single thing while I'm here. Yeah. You know, I'm going to start something every day, start something new, because actually a question that I get asked a lot since I'm now sort of an arts administrator and have this full time job is, hey, are you still making art? Which is the equivalent. Like, do you have time to make? It's the equivalent of going home and your parents like, so you seeing anybody? Like, it's such an <laughs> awkward question, right? Because yeah. no artist is making as much as they want to. You know, like, yeah, I have a 45-hour a job week. I don't have time to always get in the studio. So I'm pretty honest with people. I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I carve out the time, but it's difficult and it's slower than it used to be. And, and I always say the same thing. Like, what I miss the most about my studio practice is being able to make terrible artwork which sounds really conceited when i say it out loud but like the ability to make something to to explore to yeah because of those 10 stories that he started maybe only one gets written all the way yeah but you have to have these little avenues of exploration or else what happens is if you only go in with the expectation i'm going to start something and finish it and it's going to be great that's when you get stuck in a rut yeah and And you you never finish the same stuff or or you just make the same thing because you don't have time to mess up because you're putting the pressure on yourself to like I have to make this and finish it because I have to sell it or put Mm -hmm. it in the show or do whatever it has to be successful that you never make something that's potentially bad which is also potentially great like you only make process as an artist from exploring and exploring means taking dead ends you know yeah I mean my spiel when artists get here is like hey if you don't come in till afternoon that's fine if you, it, I just like, I let them know. It's like, if you want to leave and go have a beer at two o'clock in the afternoon and not come back to the studio the rest of the day, I ain't judging you. This is not a competition yeah. about who's working the hardest and staying in the studio the longest. Like there's but see, that attitude is really out there. Yeah. Right? Oh, you know? that attitude is 
suffocating. Like who in, 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 <laughs> at, at, at craft schools, at grad schools, at your local pottery center, like who's making the most? Who's getting the most done? Oh, you're taking a break to eat? I don't even eat anymore. <sighs> my art feeds me. I rolled my eyes. You can't see it. <laughs> but like, you know, it's that kind of, um, is that kind of over romanticization of like how art works that really, yeah. like, and, you know, it's, it's like, it's not me. I want people, and I try to tell the residents this too, when the residents come in, it's like, you know, you have to plan for yourself. Like you can't, yeah. especially it's really, I know it's hard here and maybe you can verify this or not. Like having the place where you work and the place that you live all in one, you know, 200 yard perimeter yeah. is exhausting. I never again I mean I that was my life for three years two years at Penland and one year here and um I didn't realize how much of a negative impact it was having on me until I got to Philly and then did the dumbest thing ever which was also overstimulated like completely too social in these environments so then I went from that to complete isolation and I put my studio and my spare bedroom in my apartment that I lived by myself um, which was just the pendulum swinging the other way yeah. terribly. So I'm the happiest I have been in years because my studio is in a complex that is a 20 minute walk away from my house. That's see, well, it kind of goes back to what we were saying. Like the reason why you need a break between undergrad and grad school is because you just need to, don't forget to just live your life. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to have that beer at two o'clock in the afternoon here, you can do that. Well, I mean, I guess maybe you could go do that in whatever job you have, but like <laughs> you can just live your life and you sometimes forget like, what do I just do when I don't feel the pressure to do anything? Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of our hobbies. Like I miss being in a band. I want to do that again. You should do that. It was nice. Like I need something else besides jewelry. Uh, honestly, the podcast is really making me a lot happier of a person. See? Yeah, because it's not me in the studio. I enjoy this so much. Well, and again, uh, you had to, at some point, you took a risk to say, like, I'm going to try this thing that I don't do. or And you found, mm-hmm. and you, but if you had never taken that risk, you would have never found this. It's true. And it was scary. And I did yeah, it. It's yeah. Always, yeah. But then also there's people that are, I've lived with people at craft schools that are that person. Like, they eat sleep and breathe the studio and they're a hundred percent happy and that's all they want to do but i don't know maybe they're not being completely honest with me i think so there are some people who i mean again like i think like different strokes for different folks right yeah absolutely but i think that the key is is being honest with yourself like do you need to like are you doing that because you just do that are you doing that because you feel like you're keeping up with the joneses so to speak are it's you, true. Are you doing that because you think that it looks cool or that that's what artists do? Because not our artists work like that. You know, it's interesting. This type of work, like especially being a working artist, is so different from somebody that has a job like nine to five, right? Like how do you quantify their success or their productivity? Yeah. But ours is like a tangible physical object. And it's like how much did you make last month? You know, but like but somebody else that does a different type of job, it's you can't quantify it in the same way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess only by like kind of what we were doing earlier, like you quantify it by salaries and promotions. And, mm-hmm. you know, if obviously they're not doing their job, then they would get, you know, fired, fired or demoted or whatever. But as an artist, like it's trickier than that. You yeah. Know? 
I mean, I guess you could say you're not being successful if you're not getting in shows, but how many shows a year should you have? How much work should you It's sell? all arbitrary. Like, it's all, yeah. It, it, there's always going to be someone more successful than you. There's always going to be someone less successful than you. So you have to set the parameters of your own success, which is hard. It's you know? hard. So here at Pentaculum, we try to like, just like you do you. Encourage that and hopefully have people find the like what it is that they need to do. I loved my first year. This taught me that doing this job. Um, one of my artists, I invited this artist that I deeply respected and love her work. And she casts and she fabricates and whatever. And I was like, oh my God, I get to watch her making this work this week. And she rolled in and was like, ah, I think I'm going to try to teach myself how to do like watercolor on enamels or something like that. And I was like, but what? Wait, what? And I don't think she finished anything that week. Maybe she made some samples. They weren't that successful. It didn't, you know, and and that taught me so much from my own um, expectations of the people that I get to invite to be here is don't put any expectations on them. And yeah. they're, gonna, they're the most successful artists here are the ones like just chilling and taking some risks. Yeah. Yeah. Or I did have one I loved a couple years ago. Sarah Holden came and she had a baby. The first year I invited her, she was pregnant, but she was keeping it a secret. And so she's like, I can't make it, but don't tell anybody I'm pregnant. And so the next year I invited her and that woman made more work in a week than I made in the last six months. And it was like these beautiful lockets and all this stuff. So it's really interesting to see what people can do with this time. Yeah. She's <laughs> when you have a motivation of like, wow, the first week you've had without a child in you're over just, a year. See, it's because you suddenly appreciate that time. Yeah, and exactly. You're like, oh, this is what I'm paying for. You know, like is I want to crank this stuff out. So because yeah. the other thing is, yeah, you shouldn't come here and do what you can do at home. You should come here and do what you can't do at home, whether or not that's getting in the studio every hour of the day to crank out you know, as much work you can or Mm -hmm. taking the time to yourself to make work you would never make at home because at home is your, you know, rigorous studio practice and you want to come here and do something goofy and Mm -hmm. something you wouldn't normally do. I always ask my students, no, not my students. Oh my God. Um, my participants, um, what their studio needs are. And a lot of them, we also encourage collaboration, like go to the print studio if you want to use this thing or go to the wood studio. And I really like that. Um, Cause it's the name comes from Pentac Nick DeFord. Oh Nick. yeah, I coined that. Yeah, you coined that. People are like, "What's up with the name?" I was I like, know. "If you knew Nick, if you knew Nick DeFord, it totally makes sense." Um, but yeah, the five studio um, crossover, like yeah. collaboration, was a big part of our initial mission statement. Well, and it was also we were just trying to find a word that like no one else is going to use. Yeah. Do you remember the first year the hashtag? I wonder. We haven't, because now we're putting the hashtag of the the year after it, like Pentaculum 2018. But I remember that first year we were just hashtagging Pentaculum. We were in the Instagram feed with all these like goth, um, yes. like goth teenagers who are wearing their like pentacles in their. It's so good. You guys just like take a little moment and study the hashtag yeah. Pentaculum on Instagram. It's amazing. But see, that's the thing. It's such a, it's, it's, it's a word that doesn't get used commonly, you know, yeah. and, and we could have made up a word, but this word was already pre-made in a sense. It's a very archaic word for like a pentagram or a pentacle or a five-sided object. And so uh, Pentaculum seemed to really work out. <laughs> 
I like it. I think it's great. And it does roll off the tongue. You know, it's not so hard to read. Like sometimes you you see names and you're like, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Oh yeah. This one you know how to pronounce, but you're not really sure what it is, and that's exactly what you need. Yeah, because then you're going to look into, like, what is that? Yeah. And there's a page on Aramont's website yep, that you we have can... have a page now. Yeah, and you can check it out. And you can always scroll through, like, hashtag Pentaculum 2017, 2016. Twenty uh, now 2018. 2018, 2015. Again, you should also just do just the hashtag Pentaculum and see what all comes up. Yeah, because it's pretty good. It is good. Um... Oh, well, so we've kind of covered all the subjects I wanted to talk about. I'm trying while I have you in the hot seat. I feel mm-hmm. like, oh, what can I ask Nick DeFord that I've always wanted to ask? Yeah. Oh, okay, I got a one. Mm-hmm. What's the weirdest um, request a guest has ever asked of you <laughs> that you could say on air? Um, <laughs> I don't really have a lot of those off the top of my head. You know, like yeah. you mean like a like a instructor or a student either one i mean i feel like instructors could probably get real needy and kind of weird um yeah i mean i feel like i don't want to throw like anybody under the bus because uh, you know by saying like what they requested was weird because there's yeah. always an explanation but we just always have to be really plain like we can't get that we had an <laughs> instructor who wanted an exercise bike in their room we're like, we don't, we don't have an exercise, you know, <laughs> yeah. on campus. That's Aww. not something that we had, but they had a good reason. They were going through, they were doing rehabilitation after surgery and they needed mm. like, so like, it, it's like, that was in, in when you said like, we don't have that. They're like, Oh, that's, that's fine. Yeah. You know, like we, I've never had sort of a, a, a prima donna moment where somebody has been like, I need like a jar of green jelly beans or anything. Yeah. Like, that that's kind of what I was leaning on. I was like, is there anything just that you're no. just like, mm, no, absolutely not. You know, no, and, and I mean, and because I, I know that you have, I know that just from knowing you that you you have strong feelings about this. But it's just a lot of people want to bring their pets, <laughs> which I I I am on. Me and Sarah are on the same page on this. Like I'm sort of like uh, I mean I and trust me, like I'm obsessed with my cat. Which by the way, I met his cat in the early days that of came his life. F- that came from Aramont. It was a stray that was found on Aramont, but. I kept kicking I also, it out of my studio. I'm also really, I acknowledge the fact that like not everybody loves my cat. Yeah. So I don't bring my cat everywhere I go. But there are <laughs> yeah. some people who like cannot go anywhere without their pets. Um, and I feel like that's been like a deal breaker with some instructors. Mm. Like they can't, they won't come if they don't have, they can't bring their dog. And I'm like, okay, well. Sorry. Yeah, you know, like I, I, you know, that's I. I'm not gonna because, like, I think, I think we're on the same page on this. I'm not a dog person. Yeah, I'm not a dog person. Sorry. And so, like, part of that is like I don't want to have to hang out with your dog. And people just don't get it. Like, I'll be walking down the street in Philadelphia, and they have their dog on the sidewalk on a leash, and they don't pull their dog in. And I like I play Frogger in Philadelphia, basically around dogs. I got to cross the street when I see one coming because I know the owner won't like pull him in. And I got uh, a dog tried to attack me the other week, so I'm on high alert oh. now. Like I see it down the block and I cross the street immediately. I've, yeah, I've seen crazy. I mean, like like the way that people have this sort of like dog entitlement now. Now we're off topic. I know, but I don't it's know kind if that's of amazing. A, that's a thing that happens, <laughs> but like it happens here in, no- in like in Knoxville. Like there's so many restaurants that allow you to bring your dog. I'm like, what if we come to? 
I, I don't like, want, I don't want to be in this restaurant with your dog. Sorry. Like, I mean, sorry. And dog now owners. I say this, and it's going to be on this podcast, and then I'm going to get all this hate mail about. Yeah, why I hate don't, dogs. don't worry. But about it's it. fine. I don't care. You know what? You know, this is my chance to say that, like, I'm not a dog person, and I feel like that sometimes I'm ostracized because of that. Oh, absolutely. Like dog, dog people are like, you're supposed to love dogs, and I'm like, I just don't. They're, there's for a lot of reasons. When I'm on Tinder and yeah, that's right. I go on Tinder. <laughs> if I, if like one, if your first picture is with your dog, like it's an instant, like, oh, we're never going to work. I mean, actually, if you have any picture with your dog, I just know that that is going to come between us. And so I move on immediately. Sometimes I'm a little upset because the person's really cute. And I'm just like, oh, you're just it's holding just your dog like it's your girlfriend. And I don't know how to yeah. feel about that. I just, and so, and so like, you know, I, and not having a dog is my choice. And so like, but now I feel like I have to be like everybody else with everybody else's dog since they can take their dog everywhere. I'm mm. like, Ugh. 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 Oof. 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 <laughs> um, well, Nick, that was a good question. Yeah, <laughs> now our time is out. <laughs> we went on a rant about dogs. Yeah. No, that's the best though. I mean, come on. Um, well, I just want to say thank you because yeah. you are, I mean, as a resident, you're kind of like Papa Nick. You're there for us. You help help us through everything. I mean, you host us in at Knoxville so we can get out of Gatlinburg and go out there. And um, you always have bourbon and you always true. share. Yeah. And it's very nice. Um, but it's been a pleasure getting to work with you through Pentaculum. Oh, yeah. It's been great. Yeah. And we have two more years together. Yep. And then I'm retiring. Yay. Well, not yay to that, but like yay for two more years. Yeah. Yay for two more years. And then someone else is going to take over, which Mm -hmm. is going to be awesome. Yeah. Because with that comes a whole new pool of artists that they'll be aware of. And I think that's really great. Is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap things up? No, this sounds good. Yeah. You're like, okay, I got to go. Thanks. Oh, no. I just think we covered quite a lot of topics and they all sort of like looped back on each other. So. Yeah, no, this was great. Except for the dog thing, which is a tangent, but everything else was, was, was on topic. <laughs> great. Well, uh, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists. Broaching the subject. I get it. Yes. All right. <laughs> it's such a good pun, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Until next time. Perceived Value is a podcast recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Perceived Value. Stream us directly from our website at perceivedvaluedpodcast.com or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Just don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for listening.